appreciate that we're at a, we are part of a church that owns the fullness of human experience. And oftentimes we just sing, quote, praise songs that are happy. And that's not the world we live in. We live in a happy and a broken world. And so to be able to take some time to reflect on the highs and lows that we all feel from time to time. Some more highs, some more lows, but to know that you know, that Christmas message, Emmanuel, God is with us. Regardless, when, she, when they were singing, it reminded me of Psalm 139, where it says, If I ascend to the heavens, thou art there. If I descend to the depths of the earth, thou art there. There, wherever we are, God is with us, even when things fall down. God is with us, and God is good. Last week we started, oh, and by the way, I'm not the pastor, so if you're here as a visitor, it's like, oh my gosh, that guy's so old, is he going to live till next week? I'm not the pastor. The, the young guy who was like doing all that stuff, he's the pastor. So I just fill in from time to time. So last week we started the uh, book of James, which is a book that I always was drawn to, um, but also a challenging book. Because it basically says, here's how you put feet to faith. It doesn't, doesn't give a whole lot. There's not a lot of fluff in James. It's just going to go through boom, 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 and say, hey, this is, this is how you're supposed to live. It's, that's why Andy said it's, it's a prophetic book. It's like the book written by a prophet. Because he's just saying, hey, this is the way it is. And last week, Andy talked about lifelong devotion requires forward motion. In other words, effort is involved. And it's interesting, as, as the Bible talks about faith, it uses, often uses the word walk. You know, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, it says in Ephesians. And it doesn't say ride your bike. And now that we have electric bikes, you don't even have to pedal. But there was a time when there were bikes you would pedal but you could coast. You could coast downhill. I remember one time I was in riding through, where was that? Must have been Colorado, somewhere, somewhere where the Rockies are. Um, and there was maybe a five or six mile downhill. And actually, basically, you had to hit your brakes every so often. Because you just coast forever. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life does take motion or does take effort. Dallas Willard is famous for saying, grace doesn't, grace negates earning, not effort. And so as we embark in the book of James, we're going to be challenged to live in certain ways. And James begins with a, with a powerful passage we looked at last week, but I want to re read it again this week. Oh yeah, and be intentional. Oh, I want to talk about intentionality for a while. Um, you know, a lot of people, well, I don't know if a lot of people, but a number of people that I meet with pray about, God, do you have a word for me for the year? And I never have really done that. But this year, all of a sudden, this sort of word came up, and it was that word, the word intentionality. Like to be intentional, more intentional in terms of my, my living for Jesus, my living of Jesus in my own life. And I think James is really saying, here's what it looks like. Here's what intentionality looks like in the various areas of our life. And now let's go to the next slide. And this is just starting with verse 2, and it says, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And I wanted to go back to that, because it's, it's, it's an incredible verse. Because it, to live this way necessitates a way of seeing God that we, talk, we sang about today. That in the, in the highs, in the lows, the other word song was when it rains, when there's pain, when there's sad, that God is with us. It's not, the, it's not the joy in the sense of the trials per se, but it's the joy of knowing what they, were produ- what they will produce in their lives predicated, and this is, the, this is the thing that's so important, predicated in our view of God. So that's, that's what this whole, this whole book is based on, knowing that God is a loving God, a caring God, an involved God. You know, this passage reminds me of Psalm 23, verse 1, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, we treat that, that, that psalm as if it's a greeting card. You know, it's read at a lot of funerals, and it's like, oh, it's so sweet. But listen, that first verse is basically, God is my shepherd, so nothing else matters. It's saying the same exact thing. And then it goes through and lists out what that looks like. That I can have a great meal, even in the presence of my enemy is one that stands out to me. Like even though I'm surrounded by all these people that are against me, I can have a meal with the Lord that isn't defined by what's going on around me. So as we, as we begin James, it's, it's not saying, hey, just have, put a happy face on things. Again, that's why I like the songs we sing today. Life is tough. And whether you put a happy face on it or not, God's with you. And oftentimes, God is closer, seems closer than when we're struggling than when things are going well. And so there's, there's something that, that and, and we, we don't go after trials. That would be ridiculous. But fortunately, we live in a broken world. There's trials all over the place. How do we... When, when, we, when a trial comes upon us, what is our focus? And this will be a theme throughout at least this morning. Is, does it take me to God and I, then I remind myself of who God is? Or does it take me the other way? And that leads to despair, um, discouragement, depression. So when I first became a Christian, this was like in year two or three, I became a Christian near the end of high school. So like 75 years ago. Um, and I remember coming out of, of uh, junior college, going up to my car, and I, when I saw my car, it's like, wow. I don't know what it is, but there's something different about my car. So I, had to, so I stopped and I looked at it for a while. It's like, oh my gosh. There's no grill on the front of my car. Someone had stolen the grill from the front of my car. It wasn't like metal. It was a plastic grill. It was a Datsun 1200 back in the day. So it wasn't like it was worth a lot of money, but someone had stolen it. And I remember my first reaction was, yes, I, God believes I can take a trial. Because when you first become a Christian, it's sort of pretty easy. You know, everything happens. You like all the Bible studies. You read the Bible. It's like so amazing. Every song's great. And then you become a Christian for a while. It's like, eh. Message is okay. Songs are fine, but it's not. There's not this enthusiasm. Well, I was still in that sort of honeymoon 
period when everything was just great. And then I was like, whoa, I'm at a place where I can handle a trial. I couldn't wait to get the Bible study that week to tell them, guess what? God thinks I can handle trials. Now, I don't respond that way as much anymore. And what has changed? Has God changed? No. I've changed. Because when I first became a Christian, there was a sense that God was my entire life. I was dead, and now I was alive. And as someone who was adopted, to, to see and image God as Father was hugely impacting on my life. And to be able to own that, to, that God understands me, that God sees me, that God loves me, and nothing can change that. And see, that's the foundation where we can begin to consider it joy when these things happen. It's not that the things that happen are, are the joyful thing. It's that God is going to do something because God is going to be with me in it. And God is going to take whatever happens, so a Romans 8, 20 kind of thing, all things work together for good, and bring good out of it. Even if I can't see that. Even if I can't fully believe that. Because nothing is going to separate me from, from this God that loves me. And nothing is going to keep God from bringing good out of the situation. Even my own unbelief. Because God's bigger than my unbelief. God's bigger than my doubts. God's bigger than my struggles. And so a key question is this. And we're not going to share this in groups. But do you trust God? Do you trust God? Not that God will do what you want God to do. That's how a lot of people trust God. And then when it doesn't happen, then it's like, oh, I don't know if I can believe in this God. But do you trust God, period, end the statement? And a good way to think of that is like, you know, think of a continuum in your head from 1 to 10. Ten is like complete, absolute trust. One is like, no, I don't trust God at all. And then where are you on that continuum? Not in terms of judge, judging oneself, just, be, just in terms of awareness. Because to the degree that we can trust God, then we can consider it joy. Then, as we get into our next passage, then we'll want the wisdom that God has to offer. But unless, in, if we do not trust God, that's not going to be the stance that we take. So let's read the next Next uh, verse, verses. And this is our passage for today. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to that person. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because you who doubt are like the wind, a wave on, of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not think they will receive anything from the Lord, for they are double-minded, unstable in all they do. So a couple of things I want to focus in on. First of all, the word generously. That if any of you lack wisdom, should ask God, who gives generously. See, God is a gracious God who, who gives beyond anything we can think, ask, or imagine. And so we tr I trust, hopefully you trust, in the generosity of God. That God is predisposed to love us, to be gracious toward us. The essential nature of God is, is love. You must believe and not doubt. Now it seems pretty harsh, not doubt. You must believe and not doubt. 
And on the, fa- on the face of it, it's like, wow. Either you believe or you doubt. But I want to I modify that a little in terms of how we think about it. In, in the Gospels, a man comes to, to Jesus and Jesus says, do you believe? Is it going to be, a, hopefully, a healing taking place? And the man, in a moment of absolute honesty, says this, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. See, that's, that's belief. We might think, well, that's doubting. No, with, with God, God is generous, remember? So God says, okay, I can work with that. Like, you got, you got some belief? And Jesus says all it needs to be is a mustard, say, mustard grain of belief. Not much. And there could be maybe a, a I was going to say a buttload, but I will not say that. A boatload. <laughs> oh, I did say that. Um, a boatload of doubt that doesn't override this because of the generosity of God. God is looking for ways to come alongside of us. God is looking for ways to, to, to demonstrate love and grace and mercy. And so when we ask for wisdom, that faith right in there, right there and then. Even if it's like, I wonder what God's going to do. I wonder if God's going to answer. I wonder if it's like, no, I'm still asking of God. God is bigger than our doubts. Even though we may feel our doubt is pretty big. Because one who doubts is like the waves of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And this reminds me, I don't, I don't know if you remember Andy last week said, you know, a lot of this is sort of like we're looking at Matthew through some different lenses now. And so as I go through James, it's like, oh, what are some passages from, from Matthew or from Jesus' life that this re- reminds me of? Well, this one reminds me of Peter walking on the water. That, that there was a place where doubt surfaced in him. And what doubt did in that circumstance was took his eyes off Jesus. He began to focus on the wind. He began to focus on the, the waves. He began to, in, in, in terms of our lives, began to focus on the circumstances, but not on Jesus. And that's what he began to sink. It wasn't that there were wind and waves there, because they were there before he got out of the boat. But when they became the focus, that's when he began, began to sink. And then when he returned to Jesus and, and said, save me, that's when it all changed. So we go back to the beginning. What is your focus as you ask for wisdom? Is it on God? Is it desiring God? The best you can do. Doesn't mean there may, there may, there's no doubt, but there's faith that eradicates or eclipses that doubt. And then if we begin to, to feel a little shaky, All we had to do, like Peter did, was refocus. Jesus, save me. God, I need your help. And God comes in, who gives to us generously. So the question that arises is, what is wisdom? And James, in James chapter 3, we'll get to there in a few moments, it talks about two types of wisdom, the wisdom from above and the wisdom of the earth, so to speak. But the wisdom we're talking about here can be defined as this. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And think of fear, think in terms of respect, reverence. It's owning that God is other than us. That we are created, God is eternal. 
So there's a difference between who we are. It, the, the fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and insights. So it's talking about the otherness of God. And then another definition, wisdom, and I like this one, is, wisdom is a person's approach to life arising out of their life with God. So it's how we approach life with God. It's the with God life. God is with us. We are with God. And as we live that way, then we're going to desire the wisdom from above. Because this world is a hard place to navigate. So wisdom is essentially a mode of being before God, fueled relationally as one is connected to Jesus, walking with Jesus. And so this is, again, all contingent on how do you see God? How do you see God? Another question to sort of unpack this is, how do you see the cross? So if we see the cross as a reminder that God is a wrathful God who hates sinners and is out to judge people, then why do I want to have any kind of relationship with this God? But if we see the cross as it's described in John chapter 3, verse 16, as an instrument of love, demonstrating that God so loved the world and that the whole, the whole flow of the cross, toward the cross, in the cross, after the cross, is love, then that changes our perspective of God. And as we realize that God is the God of love, that God leads with love, and everything that God does flows from that place of love, then it's like, yeah, of course I want to do it. At least I want to know what God wants me to do. So again, we come back to, who is God for you? You know, Jesus asked the disciples this question, who do you say that I am? So I would ask you this question, who do you say that God is? And that might be something to, you know, to sort of think through this week. Maybe that's one of the conversations we have with each other. As we begin to try to articulate, what do we see or sense or feel is the essence of God as we describe this God? What might be an image that, that communicates that to us? So as we think of wisdom, we often think of decision-making and discernment. How are we going to make decisions? How are we going to discern? And to me, those are two very different things. Decision-making is, I take the lead. i got a rational mind. I've got common sense, so I'm going to make a decision. I make the decision, and we're done. It's It's... An episodic event happens, done. Discernment, which leads to, I say, I would say making good decisions, it's not devoid of decision making, but begins and ends with God. It's a relational life of walking with God and discerning as we live life, not as an event of I need to make this decision, but how am I going to live my life today? And out of that, yes, decisions happen. Like today, we all made a decision to be here. That's a decision. Hopefully, it was this, this, discern, this larger discernment of why are, why, and that might be a great question to ask too, why are you here today? You know, why I am here today, well, I was speaking, so that doesn't really count. And then last week, I did slides, so that doesn't really count. So every, every time I've been here this year, I had to do something. But next week when I come, it's because of community. Because I need to know there are people in my lives, my life, 
that can encourage you, that can challenge you, that can, can stimulate me to love and good deeds. I'm here to, where do you get to sing together to God? And to be able to, to come and worship with each other. And so, I really, it's not about the decision making, am I going to go to church or not? It's this, this discerning life of, yeah, where else would I be? Because this is where life is found for me, and it helps me to live life. So discernment is an outflow of a relationship with God that leads me to say, God, I want what you want for my life. Again, predicated on, I believe God wants good things for me. That God wants me to have the abundant life. That God wants me to flourish, whatever that may look like. And not only in the life to come, but here and now. Now, there's some issues with wisdom. One is don't confuse God's wisdom with conventional wisdom or common sense. God does not always make sense. God does not always make sense. God's wisdom can seem like foolishness. Like not only does it make sense, like that's ridiculous. Why would I do that? Why would I think that? Why would I make that choice? And this is one of the hard ones too, is God's wisdom does not equal answers. See, sometimes, God, I need to know this. I want your wisdom. I want this, this thing to be answered. And we see Job struggle with that. Question after question after question. What does God do? God just turns around and asks question after question after question. And at the end of that relational dialogue, Job says, not, has not received one answer, now I know what I've never known before in terms of who God is. It's a relationship. That's what's important. Sometimes we want to settle for answers rather than having an ongoing dialogue with God and wrestling with these things and wrestling with God. So our view of God, the person of character of God, impacts even our desire for God's wisdom. All right, moving on. One of the questions is, the last one on this one, it says, oops, where are we? There we are. When it talks about doubts, what kind of doubts do you think this is referring to? You know, ask without doubting. We sort of talked about doubts in one sense don't matter. I don't really struggle with doubts when it comes to these, this, these kinds of things. I struggle with, I don't want to know what God wants me to, to do because I don't want to do it. Or I'm afraid that God's going to say, here's the wise thing to do. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I know it's not, probably not wise to eat a, eat a whole sleeve of Oreos. But I'm hungry and I'm struggling emotionally. And it's just one sleeve. I'm not probably going to ask God, hey, God, is that the wise thing to do? Because I'm pretty sure God's going to say, no, check the serving size, which is probably just two Oreos, which sucks. <laughs> but, but that's the reality. As we mature in Christ, it's not so much doubts in terms of, you know, is, is, you know what's going to happen here. It's more of, am I going to do what God wants me to do? And there's a verse in James, James 4.17, which is somewhere in here. I'm all over the place now. Um, but fortunately, I have it memorized. 
The person who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to them it is sin. Like, that's not the black and white, hey, if you, if you go against the Ten Commandments, that's sin. Or thou shall, any of this thou shall nots kind of thing. This is when God reveals to me, this is what you need to do, what I need to do, and I don't do it, suddenly now that's in the category of sin. Now, Alicia may not have to do it at all because it's not one of those things. Thus says the Lord. It's what God's inviting me into. When I was a youth pastor, I decided not to drink alcohol. Not that I was a big fan of alcohol, um, but a lot of my friends drink alcohol. But since I was working with youth, I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to drink alcohol, turns out, for 11 years. Because, not because thou shalt not drink alcohol doesn't say that. But I really felt like for me to work with these youth from, from junior high to, to college, I needed to, 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 or I was invited into living a little differently than a lot of adults do. Because in, in my area, drinking was an issue with the teens. So can you have fun without drinking? So I was sort of the poster child for that. You know, sort of like Andy every week. Yeah, because I don't think he has a drink before he gets here. But, but he can have fun. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I don't think so. But you can have fun. You can be outgoing. You can be yourself without that. And so there may be things in your life where God, and that's, that's when we begin to ask wisdom, then God begins to, to stick his chip in our dip. He gets in our business. He looks at us and says, oh, you want my wisdom? Yeah, but I was asking about this thing. No, 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 no. You want my wisdom? See, and that's a relational dynamic of it. See, it's not just here. It's no, God, here's my life. I want your wisdom. And I may be asking for this, but the invitation is really for all of life. Again, what does that go back to? Do I trust God? Do I believe God wants the best for me? that God is loving, that God is wise, that God is caring. Okay, let's look at the, the slide that says, but the wisdom from above. Okay, but the wisdom of above, from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere. This is a great synopsis of what's it look like when we're living out the wisdom of God. There's not a lot of yelling in this passage, or there's none. There's not a lot of selfish ambition. There's none. It's first of all pure, but then peace-loving. Or think of peacemaking from the Beatitudes. It's considerate taking the other person into account, what they're feeling, where they're coming from, their story. It's submissive, submissive to God's leading, God's direction. It's full of mercy. I mean, it's interesting, if you look at the Beatitudes, if you, if you count nine Beatitudes, which I do, the middle Beatitude, which then becomes the pivotal point, is blessed are the merciful, which makes a whole lot of sense. And in Luke chapter 6, it says, be merciful, or some will say be compassionate, as God is merciful, as God is compassionate. So mercy is huge when, is a huge determinant, is this God's value or God's wisdom or not? 
And as we're living still in a divided nation in a lot of ways, can we give mercy to those that we don't agree with? doesn't matter if you give me mercy or not. Can I do that? Can I be peaceable in these dialogues? doesn't matter if they're peaceable or not. Can I do that? And if I do, that's the wisdom from God. And so as we begin to pray for God's wisdom, then we look to see, are these the characteristics that are defining my life, defining my interactions with others? And it's really, really helpful. It's not a long list. Full of mercy is, is the key piece in all of that. A couple things, and then we'll, we'll close. And they're on this slide. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. God is a God who wants us to know. Jesus says, I, don't not, I, no, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends, because I'm going to let you know what the Father's up to. And this says that because we have the Spirit, we can now readily receive the wisdom of God. It's not like something we have to figure out. It's not something we have to develop. We have that ability. And then, sec- and then that, chap- that, that chapter ends with, we have the mind of Christ. That's a huge statement. We have the mind of Christ. Can I perfectly think God's thoughts? Of course not but I am predisposed in a way that I never was before to live into and out of what God says. In Romans 5, Paul puts it this way. We can now choose how we're going to use our body, how we're going to use our lives because of what God's done for us. We can make choices now. We can follow God or we can not follow God, but we have the ability and everything within us through Christ to follow God. So how do I become... A person who is discerning, a person who is accessing God's wisdom. And really, it's not really access, it's just open to God's wisdom. Because God is the God who guides and directs us. So, so, so here's a couple things that you can do. One is cultivate a deepening view of God and a realization of God's heart to you. God is not angry with you. God is not disappointed in you. God can't be disappointed in you. So let's say Lewis did some crazy thing this week. Now his wife could be disappointed in him. Oh, Lewis, again. But God can't because God knows what's happening. It's impossible for God to be disappointed. It's like, oh, of course Andy did that. Of course Ben did that. Doy, that knucklehead. And then he just grabs him and then gives us one of these. Says, I love you, man. And go on our way. That's who God is. God is merciful. God is gracious. God Heirs on love. You know, you see that through the Old, Old Testament. The Old Testament, we sort of have the sense of God is just out to, to get everybody, kill everyone, wipe out everybody, punish everyone. But you see it over and over again. God's like, okay, Israel, that's it. That is it. This is the last day you will ever live. And then Israel goes something like this. Sorry. Okay, okay, forget it. I love you guys. That's not going to happen. That's who God is. And that was before Christ. Jesus demonstrates on the cross that nothing is going to let you be separated from my love. Secondly, and this is a a huge one, is gratitude. Because when we start being grateful, when we begin to see things that God does for us, when we begin to name the good gifts in our lives, 
it helps cultivate this deepening sense of God loves me, that God's with me, that God wants good things for us. In James 1.17, I think it is, right around there somewhere, it says, every good gift comes from heaven above. So anytime a good gift comes my way, I just think, well, I just say, thank you, God. Thank you. Now, did God actually do that or not? I don't know. Maybe. One day, and this sort of brings generosity and, and God, God doing good things for us. So one day we're walking on the beach, not down there, over there, in Oceanside where I live. And one of the things I've done for years is pick up pennies when, God, when I see one, say Jehovah Jireh. Well, this day we're walking on a path. Everyone walks on, rides their bike on, walking. And I look down and there is a quarter there. I think it was, it was just last year. A quarter there. So I bend down. It's like, wow, a quarter. I never find quarters. Jehovah Jireh. I'm pretty excited. Well, when I bend down to get that quarter, there's another quarter. And 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 another quarter. There were $3.75 worth of quarters. It's like, oh my gosh. Not life-changing, but as a reminder that God gives good gifts. And it reminded me that God is a, that kind of God. That, that God lavishes, God is generous. And as we, as we practice gratitude, that reminds us of that. Now that, that I'm older, every time I get a pull-through parking spot, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to back this thing up. You know, it's a miracle. I don't care if it's a mile away from the store. It's like, whoa, pull through. Nice. Another thing as we, as we practice this is start praying for people. So as you pray for people, God will involve you in their lives, and you will see God at work. And as God works in their lives, you know that God is working in your life. And so start, and that's one of the things I'm doing with intentionality, is I'm, I'm making sure I pray for people more. Writing the notes, sending them texts as God leads. And that cultivates this, God is with us. God is involved in our lives. And then begin to see, and this is the last one, and then we'll pray. Begin to see that prayer is, a, prayer is about communication. It's not just folding our hands and going like this every morning. but It's about walking through life. Paying attention, being aware, and seeing what God may invite us into. In a sense, as we live that way, what we're saying by every step we take is, God, I want your wisdom. God, I want your wisdom. God, I want your wisdom. Not in an anxious way, just in a, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And that's the life of discernment. Again, that flows out of this deep knowing that God is within us, that God is with us, and that God is predisposed to love us and will always love us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of the highs and lows. That wherever we are, you are with us, loving us, sustaining us. And we ask as we embark on 2023 that we would desire your wisdom that we would live discerning lives, that we would really have the mindset that, or the mindfulness that you are with us in each step we take, that you are for us, 
in each step we take. And that you are loving us into the step we're taking, but the next step and the next step. May we know your generosity, your mercy, your love, your grace in ever-deepening ways. And may there be something attractive, compelling by the life we live as we live Jesus freely and fully. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.